everybody and welcome to episode 16 of Adult ADHD, my journey of self-discovery and getting a diagnosis. Ooh, episode 16, bloody hell. <laughs> I would like to say thank you to everyone who has tuned in to the past 16 weeks. Ooh, I can't believe it's been that bloody long. Um, Right, yeah, let's get started. Just before I do go on, Thank you to everyone who has been amazing and left me a review on iTunes or Spotify or Google Podcasts. Um, I really, really do appreciate those and I love looking at them. So thank you. And just a request to everyone else out there who does enjoy the podcast and likes a listen. If you could give me a rating or leave me a review on iTunes, Google, Audible, all of these places, that would be amazing. And if you'd like to follow me on Instagram, it's at adult underscore ADHD underscore journey. Facebook is at adult ADHD journey. And if you'd like to send me an email, it's adult.adhd.journey at gmail.com. Okay, what's on for this week? Well, oh God, I've got the busiest day in the world today, which is a bit weird because we're in lockdown. <laughs> but yet again, the day of Thursday has loomed and it's now Thursday morning and I'm like, ah, shit, got to do the podcast. Ugh. Like, I think about it as soon as I record one, I then get so excited I want to record the next one. But then I don't record the next one because I know if I record the next one, I'm not going to be able to wait a week to release it. (laughs) And it's just too, it becomes too tempting almost. So then I stop myself from recording another one straight away. And then (laughs) a whole week will go by and I'll be like, ah, oh my God, (laughs) pressure, pressure, pressure. So as is very common with ADHD, you do fucking forget stuff, for one. But also, it's not until the deadline's looming and then you're suddenly like, oh my God. Which usually when you do have a hyper-focus, that doesn't happen as often. But this podcast is definitely a hyper-focus of mine. It's probably too much of a hyper-focus, actually, because I think... You know, most people in my life are very supportive about the podcast, but some people are like, oh, whatever. (laughs) So, I mean, yeah, it's just one of those things. I have got my first ever bout, we should call, we'll call it, of ADHD coaching this afternoon. So that one, I'll have to let you know how that goes next week because that's at two o'clock. And there just isn't the time, if I finish that at three, to release the podcast at four. So that'll have to be in next week's. But at least that gives us all something to look forward to, hey? So I've actually got lots to talk about today. Uh, when have I not got lots to talk about? <laughs> oh, God. But again, I've been spending... I'm a school teacher, so I'm on my school holidays at the moment... And I have been spending a lot of time going out, doing X, Y, Z. But I've also been spending 
a bit of time on me and figuring me out and working me out. And I finally booked into therapy, hooray, which starts in November. So I'm super excited about what that's going to look like and feel like and sound like, yada, yada, yada. So there's lots of exciting, potentially exciting. I mean, therapy might be horrific. (laughs) Who knows? But hopefully I'm putting the scaffolds in place. Maybe I'm like a wobbly building, you know, I'm that mosque built on a marble. And I am, I am a wobbly building and now I'm beginning to get that scaffolding up, which analogy number one. And <laughs> actually, I don't know how many of you guys live in Melbourne, but yesterday we had an earthquake, right? <laughs> so I decided to have a lazy morning in bed yesterday morning. To be honest, actually, I entered the world of online dating yesterday. (laughs) So I woke up in the morning and I thought to myself, ah, you go girlfriend, you get yourself out there. You have a look, who's on that horizon? So I joined Hinge, the online dating app, and I'm like, chung, chung, hyper-focused, obsessed, right? We're like, 45 minutes in, suddenly, so I sleep with earplugs in all the time, even though I live alone and my cats are just as lazy as me. And although whenever I record a podcast, they seem to be like, yow, yow, mommy, 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 love me, love me, love me. At night time, they're pretty good. They snuggle up with me and we tend to sleep for the whole time. So there's no need for me to have earplugs in, but without earplugs, I just hear every single sound in the universe and it drives me fucking bonkers. So I sleep with earplugs in. So I still had my earplugs in while I was doing my online dating. Next thing you know, the bed is shaking and I've got, oh my God, I've got the most amazing bed ever. It's king size made of blue velvet it's like as regal as you can fucking get but it's a big fucking bed it's massive so this bed's like wobbling (laughs) and Tula one of my cats is cowering on me and I said was going I for some reason thought Nico my other cat who's fucking tiny weighs about four kilos (laughs) I thought he was scratching the bed And I was like, what's he doing? And I was looking around and then I thought, hang on, he's not a lion. There's no way he can do this. And then my second initial thought, after I discounted the fact that Nico was scratching the bed, was because I ripped out my earplugs and I could hear everything shaking. And my instinct wasn't having an earthquake when I realised it's not the bed shaking, the whole fucking house is shaking my then was I was like oh my god ah, ah, I really have a mask built on a marble oh am I and I thought am I hallucinating shit like what is this sort of weird not extraterrestrial but like oh my god it's like everything I'm saying is coming true oh fuck fuck and then after that initial I don't know panic And this was all within like a 10 second period. 
then I started to hear like a child wailing outside and I was like okay I think other people can also feel the shaking I don't think it's just me and then finally 20 seconds in I'm like maybe it's an earthquake (laughs) but I still didn't comprehend on the scale so I messaged my friend who works five minutes down the road to where I live and said, oh my God, did you feel that? Or was it just me? <laughs> Please tell me you felt that. Is it in, just, like what happened in Carnegie? Like almost like, I don't know whether, I did actually think it was an earthquake or whether I thought, I don't know, a train had crashed because I live quite close to the train line and it was the rumbling of the, cr- I don't know. And then he messaged me back and he wasn't actually at work. He was at home which is in a totally different suburb to me. And he was like, no, nope, we fell it here too. And then my friend who lives like 40 minutes away from me messaging me and was like, oh my God, did you feel that? And then I was like, okay, this is a legitimate earthquake. <laughs> there were no lions in my bedroom. I am not hallucinating. My marble is not has not turned from metaphorical to literal. We're all okay. And it was crazy. Oh my God, I couldn't believe it. Crazy, crazy, crazy. So I did have a little bit of a panic at the beginning of the day thinking, oh my God, I've written my narrative to a certain way and now it's coming true and the whole house is going to fall down. So that was fun. Um, But yeah, there you go. Anyway, so I actually did want to talk to you about dating today. Uh, As I just said before, I've jumped back on that dating horse. And I mean, it's chaos. And it's the same cycle for me all the time. So what happens is I go online dating. I hammer it really hard. I match with however many people. I strike up conversations with everybody. Then I find I'm spinning 754 plates all at the same time because I'm spinning all the online dating. And for some reason, I keep swiping. I'm actually on a swipe ban now. I'm not swiping at all until... I've, I don't know, dated these people next, 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 <laughs> because otherwise that's more plates you spin because then they're inviting more conversations. So what I'm doing is I am spinning these plates with the all of these conversations with these people and then spinning the plates of, okay, well, I'm going to meet this person and meet this person and meet this person. I'm also spinning the plates of actually living my own life <laughs> outside of dating and seeing my friends. I'm also spinning exercise. I'm also spinning appointments like my ADHD coaching, my counselling, um, you know, all of that shizzle. So I end up spinning a million plates and I can guarantee probably uh, by a week or 10 days time, I'll have a complete burnout of online dating and I'll be like, right, that's it, I'm done. And then I'll go off it for, I don't know, six to eight months. (laughs) And then thus the cycle continues. So I really find it's tough and I need to stop, you know, 
it's like stop matching, stop matching, but you kind of, I don't know, like I seem to have a never ending energy. Well, actually, no, I then I burn out, but I do seem to have a never ending energy, drive, passion, hunger for excitement. And the moment things go stale, then I'm like, gotta seek more excitement. And that happens with life in general. That happens on the dating apps, but that happens with dating in general. So I actually do get quite a lot of messages from people, which I love. So please keep them coming. And I get asked quite a bit about my dating situation and circumstances. And because, you know, let's face it, every time I tell you about them, we sound like a travesty. So maybe people are like, tell me more. Honestly, this is brilliant. Uh, but I, as I've told you, really struggle with dating. But the more people have asked me and the more people have spoken to me, I really got to thinking about, okay, well, how long you know, because I've never lived with a partner before or anything. It's never got to that stage. And then I just got to thinking, well, why has it never got to that stage? Apart from the fact that I'm an absolute raving lunatic, but I love me anyway. Um, And the part that actually a lot of the time... So it's interesting, actually. So the more into somebody I am, the more likely, which is typical, right? The more likely they are to end with me. But my longest relationships, like actual girlfriend, boyfriend relationships and not just seeing someone for bloody 10 million years, my longest relationships I've had, which have hit, wait for it, they've hit like the nine, 10 month mark, guys. <laughs> Whoa. Those relationships, I've always ended. So, because the person ends up doing my head in. And then I can't, it's like, it becomes almost that obsessive compulsive thing. So, like I've told you about when I sleep in bed with people, I want to like them to be a corpse and to no longer be breathing because they drive me fucking mad. And I listen to every fucking snore that's coming up, every breath, every twitch of the limb. And I'm like, So it begins, I begin to get really frustrated by tiny little things that shouldn't annoy you as much as they do, but they fucking do. And then I begin to, well, I seek a continual level of excitement within a relationship. And when I am in a relationship at the beginning, the butterflies are always brilliant. And they're like, oh my God, I love it. I'm so excited. I've met them for day one. I go home in the car after the day. I'm like, oh, da 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 <laughs> Oh God, I'll have a beach wedding. It'll be beautiful. <laughs> and then, I know it's ridiculous, right? But anyway, and then as time goes on, the butterflies begin to fade, you begin to, you know, get into your rhythm, 
and you get a bit more of a routine and things become a bit more predictable. So that excitement that we continually seek or that I continually seek, those butterflies begin to go down, which means one of two things happens. The butterflies, or maybe three things, when the butterflies decrease, I immediately panic and think, "Uh uh-oh, this relationship is going to fail. And in most cases, it's not even a relationship yet because we're only in the first few months. And then I panic, "Uh uh-oh, it's failing, it's failing, shit, shit, shit. I've got to get that excitement back off. Fuck, what am I going to do? And then I start to almost role play and become a completely different human, desperately scrambling to become the person who I think the person I'm with wants to be with. Even though the person they want to be with is me because they met me and they really fucking liked me and they were like, wow, you are like, woo. And then suddenly... I'm like, oh, I've got to be the perfect person. I give that person all of the power. I begin to totally diminish. And then I end up getting my rejection-sensitive dysphoria, which comes from a very perceived place. It's not even real because I've just felt the butterflies decreasing, not realizing in a sense that that's normal. And then I completely then self-sabotage, self-fulfilling prophecy kicks in. I am the master of my own undoing. That person gets freaked out. Katie, you're too much. End of. So that's scenario one that happens. Scenario two that happens is, well, I can see this person's really into me and they're fucking a really nice person. Um, And... It's going really, but the butterflies aren't there. And then I sometimes begin to blame them and think they're the reason the butterflies have faded because look how comfortable they have got so quickly. They don't want to take me out on a date anymore. They want to stay in every night and watch TV and get takeaway. Like, why don't they want to, I want to dress up for them and I want to look nice for them and I've got no opportunities to do that because they just want to stay in with me every night. And it's boring. And where's the excitement in that? Don't get me wrong. I love spending time with someone I'm dating. But I like to mix it up. I don't like to go out every single night. But I don't like to stay in every single night either. I want a fucking mix. And when they get very comfortable very quickly, and they're already like, oh, God, we're going to go the miles and we're going to go the distance, Katie, and da, da 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 And I'm like, oh, okay, let's go out. It's date night. Oh, look, babe, I can't be bothered. I just want to sit with you on the sofa and cuddle. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> so then I blame them for the butterflies decreasing. But instead of having that uncomfortable conversation, you should always, in the words of Brene Brown, choose discomfort over resentment. So what I then do is I avoid actually speaking about how I feel 
And why do I avoid it? Because I avoid it, A, because I don't want to be criticised because I can't deal with that because of the RSD. By the way, RSD, rejection sensitive dysphoria, which if you haven't listened to any other, other, of the other podcasts, it's when you have a real, you just cannot handle rejection, whether it's real, whether it's perceived, and it feels like you I've literally been stabbed and the knife's been twisted. It's physical pain. It's not mental. It's physical, unbearable pain and distress that is way beyond the atypical response of a person. So you really kind of go like off, you know, you go off the charts and you cannot handle it. But you can ding. Oh, suddenly I'm fine again. (laughs) Ding, ding, ding. So, yeah, it's um, what was I talking about? Yeah, because so I avoid these conversations because a, I don't want my RSD to kick in because I'm being criticised. B, I don't want them to suddenly turn around and be like, "Fine, bitch, it's over. <laughs> Fuck you," which they probably wouldn't do because that would be ridiculous. They'd be fucking having RSD too. I'd be saying there, uh, "Have you got ADHD as well?" And um, so I avoid that conversation. And what that means is I end up resenting that person, resenting spending time with them, resenting every time they look at me and say, hi, baby. I'm like, oh, <laughs> or they're like, mm, I'm just like, oh, fuck, you're so pathetic and dickhead. And then I become so horrible and I become such a bitch and all I want to do is end it with them. And then I'm stuck in this really weird place where I don't want to be with them anymore. So I've become a bitch and I can't help being a bitch. It's the way my weird, I'm not doing it intentionally. I don't intentionally, I'm never intentionally nasty to someone. The only time I'm horrible to someone or a bit of a twat is when I am trying to, in this weird way, self-protect from getting my RSD, <laughs> that I become this nasty, horrible human. And then I almost become a manipulator and I'm horrible. And But then I still don't break up with them because I'm too scared because then I'll be alone and then I'll get criticism and then there'll be more RSD. And then maybe they'll break up with me because they'll be like, right, you're obviously not in it anymore. Then the RSD kicks in anyway because then I've been done. Oh, my God, it's exhausting. Uh, (gasps) So I really need to get, can you get the rejection-sensitive dysphoria under control? I am not actually sure. I mean, you do become your own worst energy enemy with it and you do it's almost like like I was talking about in episode 13 I think or 14 I don't know about how ADHD almost like it's the dinosaur running after you well the RSD is more like a like an animal that's been spliced, right? So it's got the legs of a T-Rex. It's got the teeth of a great white shark. It's got the claws of 
a lion. It's got the speed of a cheetah. It's got, you get the drift, right? <laughs> it's just this beast that is terrifying. And when that beast comes after you, with ADHD, with most of ADHD, you can see it coming or you can try and handle it or you can work on it. But with the RSD, once that beast is after you, it gets you every time. Every time. That's my biggest challenge with the ADHD. That's the thing that the medication's helping with a few little things to do with my emotions. However, I still completely revert back to like toddler me and completely freak out and panic when I do get the RSD. So it's absolutely crazy. And what I do actually find as well when the RSD does kick in is I actually become a massive liar. <laughs> Why do I lie? And for example, so I dated someone who I really, really liked for about 16 months. I mean, I hope he doesn't listen to this because <laughs> we are still friends. But you know, again, it's this as much as therapy and getting through things for me as it is hopefully as well for some of you. And we were dating for 16 months. And when we were dating, I was dating other people. And he was dating other people too. I found out he was dating other people. And he said, no, I'm not. I said, well, you are. <laughs> but then it just became, yep, yeah, okay, I know that's what it is. And towards the end of this time together, he was saying to me, oh, just really worried because you haven't been with anyone else and I worried you're getting too into me. And I was really into him. I'm not going to lie. I was so into him. But I was seeing other people on the side because I was scared of becoming so into him that I would be massively into him. So I made sure I had my eggs in a couple of baskets just to be safe for me. To be honest, having my eggs in those other baskets, I was still majorly into him. Still like, you know, it's only now looking back on it that I realise in my own weird, twisted, strange little way I was head over heels in love with this guy. Never told him that, so. <laughs> oh my God, I loved you if you're listening. And it was only after the fact that I realised. So having my eggs in all of these baskets didn't matter anyway. But that's not the point. Well, the point is, he was like, you need to do this, Kate. You would make me feel so much more comfortable if I knew you were dating other people and yada, yada, yada. And I was like... No, I haven't been with anyone, <laughs> just you, because I was so scared, even though he said he wanted me to be with other people because it would make him feel more comfortable because he wasn't ready for a relationship and he felt I was getting too into it, which I totally was, fair enough, I still actually didn't tell him, oh no, I am, like, it's fine, <laughs> still lied about it. I don't know why. Like, you lie because you 
avoid the potential criticism and failure, even though that criticism and failure can be totally perceived because he was actually telling me the opposite. If you date other people alongside me, that will make me more at ease and happier. I was still like, what? A liar. I'm going to lie. And I lied through the whole time just to avoid the potential criticism, which in that case was definitely perceived. But I was worried that he'd be then like, oh, my God, like, you with other people? Oh, I don't want to be with you. Whatever, whatever, whatever. So it's just a fucking nightmare, really. And I've totally gone off topic. I was talking about when butterflies decrease (laughs) and the two things that can happen. So, yeah, either I get to, I want to become the person desperately that I think they want to be therefore I begin to be somebody who I'm not and there's only so long I can wear that mask and play that part before you know the wheels begin to fall off and then I kind of then I'm fighting against myself and having this internal battle and then the RSD kicks in and then the self-esteem drops off a cliff so when I first meet someone and this is where I think potentially me and my ADHD and my RSD are a little bit different because a lot of the time with RSD people avoid situations where they may fail or where they may perceive failure happens I don't I'm literally the world's most resilient human being on the planet I get knocked down like every fucking six days (laughs) or whatever and I pick myself up and I try again and I try again and I put throw myself into it each time with everything that I do because I'm fucking determined as fuck, right? And each time I meet a new person, my confidence level, I would say out of a hundred, when I meet someone in those first few weeks, my confidence level is at about a 98, 99 out of 100. It's fucking high. People love it. Once the butterflies begin to decrease or I begin to question myself or I begin to do my psychic thing where I'm like, oh my God, unrest on knees, they're getting frustrated at me because I can never sit still and I don't, blah, 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 blah. then my confidence level drops down to about two by the end of it and the rejection sensitive dysphoria kicks in and then it ends my self-confidence is like at a minus 765 and then I have to scrape myself back up bit by bit until one day it's at like I don't know a minus 300 and one day I'll suddenly wake up and I'll be like ah okay I'm back to like 98 again. (laughs) Just like that. What happened? I don't know. So I do find that's great, but people fall for the big, bright, bubbly, fascinating person that they see in front of them. They don't fall for the girl who is so up and down and is so desperate for your approval all of the time. And then that's what buggers it up. Either that or I begin to blame the other person because they become too boring. There you go, I've said it. I've said the thing that makes me sound like a bitch. They become too boring. 
I realized, hang on, I'm on this level and they were on that level with me at the beginning, but now they've gone to a different level and that level's fucking boring. I don't want to move down a level. I want to move fucking up a level. Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do, you know, let's go and do fun stuff, you know? So one day I'll find someone who wants to, who's at my level and continues to be at my level. So they're the two different things. I mean, how long has that actually taken me? 32 minutes. Literally, that was a side note to where I really wanted to get to. So this might be a two-parter. There might be one, another point, maybe. We'll see how I go. Bing, bing, bing. I've not done a bing in a while, so there you go. Another thing is, just as a side note, (laughs) so we'll be here for another 30 minutes, just as a side note to seeking that continued excitement and that butterfly thing, one thing, especially in the past, which actually, mm, is it still in the past? Nobody knows. I think I'm a liar, actually. (laughs) Not in the past, definitely in the present too, is to get that level of excitement that I require that means, you know, your average Joe or your neurotypical person or atypical, whatever, whatever. Often I can't get that level of excitement from that person. So I actually spoke to my friend the other week and I was saying to her, look, I think normal people most of the time work really well dating normal people and quirky people most of the time need to date quirky people right? Because if you're quirky, you need quirkiness. If you're normal, you know, what is normal after whatever. But often that makes me pick the wrong partner for me. Does this sound familiar to anyone? You end up dating a fucking asshole who everyone's like, what are you doing with this person? He sounds like the world's biggest bellend it's unsustainable, he's a twat to you, he's horrible to you, but you're fucking addicted, right? Because you're like, oh my God, it's so exciting. And let's remember, I listen and read a lot of books that are quite old, right? So we're talking written in the last century or the century before or beginning of this century, not this century, sorry, beginning, whatever. Anyway, you get the point. And the word excitement, a lot of the time in those books aren't just used in a positive way. Excitement is when it's something that's, you know, exciting, whether it's good excitement, bad excitement, scary excitement. It's something that's just like, oh my God, you know, and like, I crave that excitement. And often, the only place I find that in is people who are manipulators, or who are dickheads, or who are twats, and who do treat me horribly, because that's constant excitement. It's constant. The only problem then is, then again, you turn from Miss Confidence 2021 to suddenly the least confident person in the world and then they begin to resent you because you've become a shell of a woman and then it becomes even worse and then you're stuck in this fucking cycle 
that you can't seem to get out of. And then they're addicted to the manipulating as well. And God, you can get stuck in that forever. And it can be a massive issue. And I know that that happens to a lot, to a lot of people. So I end up being with people who are quite negative or I end up being quite unstable situations because that's the only way I can stay entertained, which is awful. I need to figure out what to do when those butterflies do begin to decrease, but also not to perceive it as a personal failure because it's such a a big issue. So looking at statistics for people, especially women with ADHD, they're way more likely to get into abusive or manipulative or, you know, just really negative relationships with people where emotional, physical, sexual abuse happens. And it's a real tough thing to try and break through. And that's leads me on kind of perfectly to something that is, it can be quite a tough topic and it's all around the need to please and the need to make everybody else happy. And you completely forget about yourself and what you need and what you require. And looking after yourself and your sole purpose in life becomes how to please. It might be the person you're dating. It might be pleasing people at work. It might be pleasing everybody around you. But you really struggle with that need to please and it can really make you very very vulnerable as a person and people then hate you for it because they look at you and think you're pathetic what are you doing like ugh, what is wrong with you you pathetic piece of shit (laughs) and you are pathetic and you have lost yourself and no wonder the person that they liked at the beginning, no wonder they won't be with you anymore because that person doesn't exist anymore. That independent, confident person doesn't exist anymore. It becomes just like, I don't know, you almost become like a fucking blow-up doll. You're just there to please the other person. You don't give a shit about yourself. And it can make us extremely vulnerable. The need to please completely takes over our instinct of looking after ourselves, our instinct of self-protection and our instinct of, you know, being safe and looking, just looking after ourselves. So it can really just, yeah, it's really tough. And I've gone through situations in the past in relationships or with people who I have known well or haven't known that well, where I've got myself into situations that I don't want to be in. I've got myself in dangerous situations. 
I've got myself in situations that have made me feel really uncomfortable. They've made me want to cry. They've made me want to crawl inside myself and just hide away. But because of that need to please and because I've been so scared because of the RSD, I haven't said no. I haven't said I don't want to do this. I've got myself in these risky situations and instead of saying no and having the confidence to be able to do that, I'm so scared of the implications of saying no because of the RSD, which again is ridiculous. So I don't really say anything. And then that silence almost becomes conformity. I don't have that risk analysis. I don't say no. I forget that you can change your mind. And I've been in situations, and this is a very raw episode, I suppose, for me. But I've been in situations where I'm doing something with someone and I'm really uncomfortable. I don't know how I've got myself in this situation, but I feel uncomfortable and I'm like silently crying Instead of just saying no. And it's awful. And saying no is something I've always been really bad at. I've always been terrible at saying no. I am the yes man. Yes, 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 yes. And it was only a few months ago a situation arose that I was very uncomfortable with. And for the first time in my life, I found my voice and I said, no, I don't wanna do this. No, 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 no. Unfortunately, I'd got myself in the risky, dangerous situation in the first place. And my no wasn't listened to or wasn't taken into account. Anyway, I came out of that situation a bit shaken up, obviously. But I was kind of, a little part of me was a little bit euphoric. And I went to see R and I said to her, I said no. <laughs> Woo! Can you believe it? Look at the self growth. Oh my God. I said no. And I was so proud of myself. And I was so just because I've never been able to do that before. Did it change the situation? No. But I learned to say no in a very difficult situation. And that's given me faith because if I can say no in that situation, that really gives me confidence for future to be able to say no. So hopefully that means, woohoo, <laughs> the only way is up. Um, so I was just really, really proud of myself in that moment. And I continue to be proud of myself. And like I spoke about in a previous episode, sometimes you react. Okay, so in that situation, and I'm not going into the details as you can probably tell, because it's not a podcast about that. But 
emotionally, it didn't actually affect me that much. Even though it was something that you average Joe, your regular person, it would probably affect them for weeks, months, years in the future. Me wasn't that bothered. It's like my ADHD with that trauma, in a sense, actually the ADHD completely helped and really got me through that trauma because I was emotionally disconnected to it. It wasn't someone I cared about. It wasn't someone who was important to me. Yet like two weeks later, someone doesn't text me back within five minutes (laughs) and my world has ended. So you do not have the ability to prioritize between real trauma and perceived trauma. But when it comes to real trauma, is that necessarily a bad thing that I've processed it in such an incredible way that it really doesn't affect me? Obviously, it's a pain in the fucking ass that I'm really emotionally sensitive to the people I care about and people I'm dating. And (laughs) because obviously that's way more regular than like, Uh, like trauma but you know I was really really proud of myself in that moment for saying no and that for me was just the best thing ever I mean I can't remember what I was talking about beforehand what was I going on about oh yes not being able to say no that need to please and just that's something that I am really shit at And I need to stop trying to be somebody that I'm not. It's really important. You know, my friends love me. I hope. (laughs) My friends lovely, lovely. My friends love me for who I am. Because I don't pretend to be anyone else with my friends. Yes, they think I'm absolutely fucking batshit crazy. But they love me for it. When I meet people, they love me for the crazy. And the crazy becomes too much for them, but that's because the crazy, I almost try to tone it down and act to be, act and try to be someone I'm not when actually I really need to just be myself. Because the moment you start acting or putting on a mask and trying to be someone you're not, actually that's what I'm pinpointing and noticing is the point in which things begin to unravel and go wrong for me. So I need to have more faith in myself, which is hard because when I start to, you know, wobble a bit, I really become self-sabotaging. I really become so harsh on myself and I, yeah, I'm my own worst enemy, as I've said, and I'm my biggest critic and I need to really learn to sit in that place of uncomfortableness. So I cannot deal with uncertainty. I really struggle with it. It's something I don't deal with well because when I'm in an uncertain situation and when I say uncertain, it's like I'm dating someone. Are we going to be together forever? Is this going to end in a week? Oh my God, I don't know. It's so uncertain. What's going to happen? Does he like me? Does he not? Does she like me? Does she not? Do I like her? Do I not? And then that uncertainty I begin to then completely unravel because I feel like I need to know, I need to know. And then that's when I become desperate and needy and yada, 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 yada. I need to actually be 
learn how to sit in that uncomfortableness and to be okay with it and to learn to enjoy it instead of forcing for answers or forcing for or trying to force someone to like me more by being somebody I am not. So I really need to learn how to be in that state of uncomfortableness, I suppose. And I need to learn to have self, I have great self, self-worth when I'm not dating anyone, but I need to really learn how to have that coexist with being with somebody. And then doing a massive loop-de-loop-de-loop and going round to the very beginning when I said I was thinking, you know, how long I tend to be with someone before the wheels begin to fall off. I'd say it's about three months if I'm just solely dating that person. I'm great for the first two, three, four weeks. So for the first month, I'm kind of amazing. By the end of the first month, beginning of the second month, that's when things begin to wobble and wheels begin to get wobbly. And then I'm in the battle of myself. And then that person seeing great, amazing K.E., but also, who the fuck is this other K.E. who's like pathetic and ooh, love me? And then actually, who's this new personality that I've never fucking met before? And then by month three, kabam, shabang, clang, poof. It's all over. If I'm dating multiple people at once and I'm not stuck in my head completely with one person then that three months extends a little bit longer out and can range, well, my longest has been 16 months. So it can have a big difference if I seek excitement from multiple sources because then the butterflies last a lot longer with the people because you're not seeing them as often or you're not relying on them as much, your confidence stays up for longer. So really, yeah, I should just have six husbands, six wives and between having those 12 spouses, I should be all right (laughs) and they should continue to really fucking fancy me forever. Um. Look, I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. I have spoken about potentially some uncomfortable topics and I wanted to talk about relationships on a much wider scale. (laughs) I didn't get past like my first, oh, actually, I'll just mention this about butterflies, actually. And then I never got past that, really. So... (laughs) This is going to be over maybe a few weeks or maybe next week I'll be talking about something completely different. Who bloody knows? Uh, We'll see how we go. But I just want you guys to know that you're not alone in the shit that you go through. If you have, like me, undergone some quite difficult scenarios, you're not alone in that either. And I think 
it's all about looking at things from a perspective of how much growth you make as a person. And something really awful can happen, but you've just got to be proud of who you are and how amazing you are as a person. Like, this is what people sometimes forget. People forget, actually, that we are amazing humans. Like, we are so unique. We are so special and bubbly and woo, fun. When we have a focus on something, we nail it better than any other fucking person could do. We're unbelievable. And I don't talk about how unbelievable we are enough in the podcast, I don't think. I talk about, oh, the negatives, this and that. But it's really important to remember, actually, we are amazing. And one of the reasons I switched from the dexamphetamines to the methylphenidates is because I felt a lot more emotionally stable on my dexamphetamines. And I felt a lot more like I wasn't sad anymore. But also what I noticed is I wasn't high anymore either. I was stable the whole time. And I then made that decision. Actually, no, I've never liked myself. I've never loved myself, which sounds really sad. I still struggle with that a lot. But going on the, for me, the medication initially... I realized that when I was stable and not so much woo-woo-woo, I suddenly then realized, hang on, no, I love me. Yes, I have the downs and yes, I fucking hate them. But God, I love those ups and those ups are what gets me through every day. Those ups are who I am. And I find I've got a much wider emotional (laughs) range for me personally on the methylphenidates, which I know is complete opposite to a lot of people, actually. It can zombify a lot of people. But that still means, unfortunately, I still have emotional dysregulation. But I'm beginning now to think the medication, the medication helps me with focus, it helps me with X, Y and Z. The medication isn't going to help me properly with my emotions. That's what I'm going to use my therapy for. So I've made that choice because I don't want to get rid of those highs because it's made me realize I love me and I love those highs. And now if someone doesn't love those ups, fuck you. Like, (laughs) I'm not changing me for you. I say now because I'm not dating anyone. (laughs) No, but I'm not. It's made me really realize actually, wow, I'm a pretty incredible human being and I don't give myself enough credit. I need to learn how to give myself credit But I think all of us, we need to realise we're amazing, we're wonderful. It's all about just getting to know us and how we tick. We need to learn more about ourselves as individuals. We need to learn more about ADHD. And we also need to work on then educating the important people in our lives to how we work what works for us, what doesn't work for us. And that's how we will reach equilibrium. Other people who don't have ADHD don't have the same intuition and psychic capacities that we do. So when we expect someone to know when we're seething, I 
And just to give you a heads up, when I'm seething, my nostrils flare. (laughs) And I've got massive nostrils, right? They flare so wide. And if I'm trying to hide that I'm seething, often I'll go and scratch my nose with um, the finger next to my thumb with my palm open so that it covers the rest of my my nostrils and my face so people can't see them flaring or I'll stare like massively into the distance and I can't even remember where I was going with being seething (laughs) um oh yes People don't have a psychic capacity. So like I'm so in tune when other people aren't happy or and then I try to help them out. People don't know that when my nostrils are like enormous, like Dumbo's ears, or when I'm scratching my nose and covering my face, people don't necessarily know that means I'm seething. And then I get more seething when they don't realise I'm seething and try to help me. Um, But you've got to remember not everyone else is psychic like you are. So you actually have to have those conversations. Tell people this is what to do in this situation or this would really help me or this is when I'm triggered or blah, 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 blah. And have those conversations. People aren't mind readers. It's really important to remember that. Anyway, oh my God, that was a big one. I hope you enjoyed and... Yeah, just to let you know as well, because I did speak about some difficult topics. I am living my best life at the moment, actually. I'm in a great place right now. And I just hope that it helped to talk about things that sometimes can be quite difficult to talk about. Um, It would be really, really amazing if you could leave me a review or something (laughs) on whatever platform you listen to this podcast on. That would be really, really great. I do know it says nothing on Audible yet. So if you do want to leave me a review on Audible, that would be amazing. Even if you haven't listened on Audible, jump on there and do it. Woo! And if you'd like to follow me on Insta, it's at adult underscore ADHD underscore journey, Facebook at adult ADHD journey and email adult.adhd.journey at gmail.com and continue to send me those messages. You guys are amazing. Okay, we'll leave it there. Bye.